You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Fields. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore controversial topics in the witchcraft community. And don't forget, Oracles, the Burning Hallows Patreon is open, and we have some pretty badass exclusive content for you to snatch up. And don't forget to pay a visit to my website, alorarain.com, if you want to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. And now, on to the show. There's a reason the kitchen is called the heart of the home. Once, it was the literal hearth of the home, the space that was kept warm by an ever-burning fire a fire that provided light in the darkness, warmed the entire house, cooked our meals, and brewed our remedies. Let your kitchen become a magical place where you perform ritual, cast spells, heal, and make magic simply by cooking. In this edible episode, we break down the magical meal into bite-sized pieces for the advanced or even the novice kitchen witch to feast upon and learn from. So grab your cauldron and settle in. I can hear in my head is double bubble toil and trouble <laughs> that's funny fire burn and cauldron bubble yeah well yes you are the pentacle or pentacle pinnacle <laughs> i'll pinnacle. take either <laughs> of a kitchen witch like you're what i aspire to be when i grow up <laughs> ah please To start this off, what magical things have you been doing in the kitchen? Well, I cooked two awesome meals over the past few days Mm. and kind of tweaked them and made them my own. And then I also just got a wooden tray that I'm going to kind of convert into a movable kitchen altar. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I pretty much do... I mean, I do magic like throughout my whole house. I have altars and and, like a shrine and stuff, but my witchy armoire that I have upstairs, I don't do a lot of actual work there. Mm. So everything is kind of done in the kitchen and I wanted something that I can kind of move around as I need. So I got a wooden type tray, like a dinner tray, I guess, from home goods, (laughs) but it's actually pretty cool. It looks pretty neat. So that's what I've been doing. How about you? I am just getting into kitchen witching because for most of my adult life, all of my adult life, I have not enjoyed being in the kitchen because it stresses me out. (laughs) It gives me anxiety. Oh, you have taught me how to negate that. And I think that, um, I'm so while I am trying new recipes, cooking new things. I'm also kind of decking out my kitchen to be a magical space. That's one of the most fun parts. Yeah, it actually really is. I think, I mean, if you're in your kitchen and you're not, if if it doesn't feel like a magical space, then you're not going to feel like you're making magic in it right it's gonna feel like a chore (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so let's talk about that what what have you been adding to your kitchen that's making it feel more magical to you well one thing that i did do is i did order some kitchen tools Mm -hmm. that are particularly magical uh so So things like wooden spoons that are decorated in witchy symbols and sayings and uh, are aligned with the natural elements. Mm -hmm. I have those. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I bought like this 
I bought like this um, kitchen, witch little package, I think I would call it because it was a, so it was like a wooden spoon set. It was a cutting board. Um, also a teaspoon that has a crystal affixed to the top of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I stir my coffee in the morning, I can really focus intention in there and things like that. Awesome. I love that. What about you? I know that you said you're moving altars. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I just, I just secured a tray as an altar because typically I just lay everything out on the counter, which is fine, but I wanted more of a kind of separate space. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, specifically for like when I'm honoring deity or ancestors, I want it separate from the actual kitchen counter where I'm cooking and whatnot. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this a particularly neat episode because you're what I would call definitely like the advanced kitchen witch and I'm like just starting. So it's like two ends of the spectrum and both are just really cool. Well, for sure. But I mean, I don't know. It's hard. Cooking and baking and kitchen witchery is so broad of a field of study, I guess, that you could, I mean, you could cook and cook and cook your entire life and you still don't know everything. Right. Exactly. Which is awesome. But I'm not to the point where I'm setting up separate spaces for deity honoring and those things. Like I'm just like, I'm just starting out where like, okay, I need this to be a magical space. Mm -hmm. Let me figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for some people, if you don't have the money to put into a lot of new tools or anything, it can be just as simple as, you know, lighting some incense in the morning and sitting down and drinking your coffee. Or if you already have wooden spoons, Mm -hmm. grab a marker. (laughs) True. Definitely. Or burning a candle for your ancestors in the kitchen while you're cooking. Something as simple as that, I feel like shifts the mood in the kitchen and for yourself and makes it more magical. Definitely. For our listeners out there, can you go over what a witch's essential magical tools in the kitchen should be, can be, can be associated with, et cetera? Yeah. And this is going to, again, vary by person and your, where you live, your culture, your family, all that. But For me, I have a certain amount of tools that I need for cooking purposes, as well as they serve as magical tools as well. So a chef's knife becomes a ritual bowling for me. Mm. And I mean, I I have a block of knives, but I just use this one knife all the time. I can't imagine using an actual bowling to like cut carrots. (laughs) No, that would be kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure nobody does that. I, I don't know if anybody does that, but you know, your kitchen is your sacred space. It's your altar. So, th- but the things have to be practical too. Right. 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 <laughs> and as we said before, wooden spoons, they pretty much serve as wands mm. to direct energy into whatever you're making. Mm-hmm. And then okay. with Alora talking about the different elements on the wooden spoons if you can get you know wooden spoons with the elements on it or you put it on there yourself then you can kind of start to align those elements with your intentions that you're mixing into the meal oh yeah like i can't wait i can't wait to use my fire wooden spoon for like spicy stuff oh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and by the way you will sometimes they'll get mixed up and you'll just be like oh my God, my earth spoon is dirty. And so I need the fire, but it doesn't match, (laughs) but it's okay. (laughs) So a stand mixer with the attachments, I know those are kind of expensive, but I mean, put it on your Yule Christmas wish list, you know, and see if anybody will give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's really useful for many things. I mean, I make uh, a lot of bread dough, You can make pasta, especially if you get the pasta attachment, Um, Mm. you know, cookies, cakes, any kind of baking, the the stand mixer is great for as well as other things. And I don't know like what 
witchy tool that would be equivalent to, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what you would call that, but it's just something that I think is useful in the kitchen. Well, I, I would probably compare that to a type of cauldron. I thought that too, but then I was like, maybe like the cauldron. Well, like the cauldron from Fantasia stirs itself. (laughs) Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think the Dutch oven or the stock pot to me is my cauldron. Yes. Yes. And if you don't have a Dutch oven, they're pretty, I I love mine. It's, it goes from stovetop to oven and it just feels, every time I pull it out, it just feels like it's going to be a magical experience. I get all excited. I mean, and I think too, like you're not just using your Dutch oven for me. I don't just use the Dutch oven for like cooking stews and, and soup, but also I've done like simmer pots Mm. and I've also done, excuse me, mold wine. So it's a pretty useful tool to have. And I've actually seen them on sale at places like home goods. Just a little tip. Yeah. Next. Okay. A tea kettle. Yep. You're going to use that a lot if you're a kitchen witch, whether you're making tea or you're just boiling like hot water for something else. Mm. And I also use a tea diffuser. So some people get those little metal balls where you put the loose herb into it and then you steep it into the water. Mm -hmm. I prefer the diffuser where you put the, so it's like a, it's like a plastic, you know, container, but you put the loose herb into the container you pour the hot water in there you let it sit and then the the tea comes out the bottom into your cup Mm. so it kind of strains out all the herbs if you like it that way and i don't know i just i think it, it actually makes a better tea as well because when you're packing all the herbs into that little like mesh ball it doesn't diffuse as evenly into the water yeah true I love this topic. Okay. You want to have a cookbook and you want to start your kitchen grimoire or book of shadows. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far <laughs> Not yet. I mean, listen, I've been doing this for years and I just started the three ring binder with the page protectors and all that mm. food and cooking apps. Laura, do you want to speak to that? Oh uh, yeah. I love whisk for anybody's out there. Whisk is the bomb. <laughs> so I know a lot of people use tasty which is a pretty good app, but yeah. whisk, you can literally find any recipe on the internet, copy and paste it into this app. And it will tell you, like give you an ingredients list. You can increase the serving size and then it automatically calculates your ingredients. And then you can add that to your shop- shopping list at the, for the grocery store. And it will take like, It even has a meal planning feature where you can plan out your whole week of magical meals. And then you can add all of those recipes to your shopping list and it will uh, compound your shopping list. Like, so it will add up, like if you have three recipes that require so, you know, so many uh, cups or grams of cheddar cheese, for example, it'll automatically calculate how much cheddar cheese you're going to need for the entire week. Oh, wow. I have the app and I haven't even done used that feature yet. That's awesome. Oh God. It's a lifesaver, especially like if you have kids and you're trying to get through the grocery store as fast as possible before, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> anybody loses it because they don't want to be in the grocery store. Right. So that, that way you don't have to sit there and calculate everything because it's already done for you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Before they start throwing cheesy puffs everywhere and freaking yeah. out and having a tantrum. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Mortar and pestle. Yeah. A food processor or Or both. both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I use both just depending on if I'm trying to get, like, if I'm doing something magically with herbs, then I'm always going to use my mortar and pestle pretty much. Right. But if I'm making like a a pesto, I'm definitely not going to do it old school in my mortar and pestle. I'm just going to put it in the food processor. Lord, you'd be there all day. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) It'd be the pesto would be turning brown by the time I'd be done like breaking it down. <laughs> okay. So what about selecting a recipe? 
there's a lot of different ways to select a recipe. Specifically for me, I look at it like there's, you can select a recipe intuitively. You mm. can, and I'm going to go into each one of these individually, but so you have intuitively, you have by Sabbath. Mm. You also have ancestral mm. cooking and deity inspired as well. Mm. And then of course you have, if you're just looking for a convenient meal and also being focused on a specific intention. So there's obviously a lot of different ways, you, you know, you're in your kitchen, you want to make a, a magical meal and you may use one of these methods or like a combination of things. Mm. But I think intuitively, I think you asked me about this before, Laura, you said you wanted me to really hit on the intuitive part of making a magical meal. Mm. And for me, I had to think about this. It took me a while to even be able to put it into words because we say intuitively, but for me, I'm also pulling on experience, right? So right. things that I already know about, but anyway, so I'll put it like this. When you're intuitively cooking, you're allowing your situation, the environment, and maybe even people's moods, including your own, to guide you into making the right meal and using the right ingredients. Mm. So for example, if your household has been sick, you might choose to make a soup with ingredients in alignment with purification, healing, comfort, etc. Right. That's when you want to get garlic. <laughs> Yeah. So the thing is, even if you're, yeah, if even if you're making a meal intuitively, you're often still drawing off of what you already know. So you said garlic. A lot of people know, you know, garlic is a warding herb. Mm. So that makes sense. Um, but, you know, you're also thinking about what goes good together. So if cooking, but cooking intuitively, it might take the novice kitchen witch a little while and that's okay. You can take your yes. time cooking and learning how to cook magically is definitely a journey. Yes, definitely a journey. <laughs> and I don't even like cook everything intuitively. I still look up recipes. I still have to, you know, learn about different ingredients and things. It just takes time. And if you're like me, <laughs> I only ever enjoyed cooking at large family gatherings where, you know, you each had one thing to make or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but for somebody like me, like I grew up knowing how to make a specific set of things, like a specific set of meals. Right. And I didn't right. really outside of that. Mm. So even picking a recipe at this stage in my kitchen, witch journey is fun because I don't know how to make a lot of things outside my comfort zone. So I've been doing a lot of that recently. Yes, it is fun. See? <laughs> I'm like, it is fun. See? So the next way to cook a magical meal is if you're thinking about cooking for a Sabbath or a big holiday, right? And so you let that Sabbath kind of inspire you. Mm. So I say, you know, research the traditional Sabbath foods and meals. You'll definitely find inspiration on otherworldlyoracle.com, but also on koboldkitchen.com. <laughs> These are all shameless plugs, shameless plug. but you know, there's a lot of traditional meals that go along with these specific Sabbaths and you can either cook those traditional meals or you can play off of those traditional meals and kind of make it your own and go in a different direction with it, which mm. is fun too. The third way to cook a meal magically is to be inspired by and for your ancestors. So for instance, if you're Irish, you might want to try to cook a Dublin coddle. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. So it's basically sausages, bacon, potatoes, cabbage. It's like a stew, but they call it a coddle because it's like the sausages are cuddled up in there. <laughs> oh. uh, bannocks, which is like a flat cake made with oats, typically, traditionally. Fisherman's mm. pie, which is like a shepherd's pie, but with seafood. Yep. Soda bread. Yeah, I've heard of that. Which is bread made with baking soda as a leavening or rising agent and corned beef and potatoes. Of course, if you're Irish, you eat a lot of potatoes. 
Yeah, we ate a lot of corned beef hash growing up. Oh, yeah. Mm, I love mm. me some corned beef hash. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, these are just examples. So if you're French, maybe you make a fricassee, a chicken cordon bleu, a beef bourguignon. Mm. I like just saying that. Italian, you could go risotto, Alfredo. I'm like, I. there's so many examples I could go on here. But the point is to look up what your ancestors may have cooked or, you know, Let's say if your grandmother was still alive, what would she be cooking? Does she have a recipe that she passed down to you? Try to recreate that. I think that's really fun as well. Well, let me just tell you. So we were talking about this topic not long ago, ancestral cooking, because I think you were making fricassee. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you had made. Yes. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that because I really want to connect with my Spanish ancestry. Yeah. Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a particular paella that is, uh, like famous, renowned, whatever for the area in Spain that my ancestors come from. It's hard to start reading this recipe. And I was like, Oh, no way, man. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. That's a lengthy process. Yeah. Oh, it contains rabbit and snail. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, escargot. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Uh, That's an interesting combination. I think it's snail. I'm pretty sure it's snail. I That's think. a very interesting. It's like they went for a walk through the forest and they were like, bat, like they got the rabbit. And then they're like, snails, throw that in the paella too. Done. And <laughs> you can make it with fish. Uh, I think, I think the alternative is fish and whatever. Uh, but the rabbit is definitely like a mainstay. And I was like, I just can't do it. <laughs> I'll eat anything once. Um, I think I have eaten rabbit once before, but I, I know that I didn't love it. I feel like it would be hard to get your hands on unless you're actually sending somebody out to hunt you down a rabbit, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. What about deity inspired? So learning what herbs and foods are associated with your god or goddess and then making a meal for them being inspired by those ingredients or including those ingredients. Mm. Sometimes there's even traditional meals associated with your god or goddess. So you can use that to your advantage. Nice. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's like a pagan shortcut. (laughs) Definitely. So Hecate... This goddess traditionally is known to love garlic, fish, honey, eggs, cheese, mushrooms, cake, and wine. So, Hmm. I mean, this is all, you can find this online anywhere. It's pretty common knowledge, I guess, in Greece or, you know, whoever is a a Hecate devotee. We did do an entire blog post on Hecate night where I actually provide a, a menu so you can check that out. I will, we'll post a link on Burning Hallows, um, probably Facebook page, if anybody's interested. Right. So we suggest to make a meal for Hakate that includes a red wine to drink, midia, which is mussels that are cooked in a red wine herb sauce as an mm. appetizer. And then for dinner, a red mullet and caper sauce with marinated mushrooms and homemade rosemary garlic bread. So that's just an example you know, you, you take those yeah. ingredients and you, you run with it. <laughs> Sounds delish. I know. I know. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> yeah. I think if you research your God or goddess and see what other people have also off, um, have also, you know, given them as offering or sacrifice, even, even like you can find history from ancient times. What were the people in, you know, ancient Greece sacrificing back then? Was it a, a boar? So, you know, you go pork, right? Right. You can do all that kind of thing. So you can build a whole menu or just a meal based off of that. Then the next way, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what about convenience? Oh yeah. Well, this is an important one. I mean, we can't all just like sit around and make big, gigantic, sacred suppers like all the time. So if you need a quick, easy and nutritious meal that includes magic, I mean, 
you just like it it's pretty simple it's stirring a magic into the meal with your spoons like we said before it's adding an herb or a spice based on intention which we're going to get into a little bit more as well but i mean do what you can do in the moment you don't have to be emerald lagasse or gordon ramsay every freaking night of the week right <laughs> right so do what you got to do. There's many nights where we make your standard, you know, taco kit tacos. <laughs> right. Night. Right. That's fine. Don't feel bad about that. You know, and then, oh, bonus points for people who make big batches of something. And then you freeze the leftovers for easy future meals. Yeah. I can only imagine what the writing on the freezer bags say. <laughs> Eat only when you need protection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could do it that way. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Okay. What about intention? Yeah. So this is selecting a recipe based on your magical intention. Mm. You know, if the meal is actually going to be a spell of sorts. So you're choosing a recipe with ingredients that back up that specific end goal. Right. So if you're trying to stimulate or draw in love you're thinking aphrodisiacs and foods that might get you in the mood mm. as well as like red and green foods foods that are linked to your root and heart chakras you can think of it that way money green foods are great for money drawing meals a basil pesto is a great example because basil is also a money drawing herb i have finally figured it out <laughs> what this is why i'm broke I don't like green foods. <laughs> oh, crap. I'm learning. I'm look, I'm eating more and more these days, more so than I ever have in my entire life, but never, um, not as a kid, never really was a fan of green anything. <laughs> Maybe just green food dye something. <laughs> That's your way around it. Yeah. I'll dye the rice green. It'll be all right. Awesome. I love that idea. Okay, so for protection, hot and spicy foods, you can, I mean, obviously all this is up to you as well, what you feel resonates. Because some people, a lot of people are going to say hot and spicy foods are also good for like passion, right? Or lust. Mm. So for protection, me specifically, I like to make soups and stews when I'm focusing mm. specifically on protection. Interesting. And then for cleansing purposes detoxifying foods like lemon garlic green tea something with a lot of water content as well yeah and those are just examples and you know you're going to come up with your own foods that you feel relate to specific intentions and then you just write it down or try to write remember to write it down and it becomes your own kitchen witch practice very cool what is one of your favorite things about food? For me, I'm big into the history of food. I think you're just big into the history of anything. But yes, okay. I am. <laughs> I know. I know. If I'm really feeling inspired by an ingredient or a dish, I typically have to look up the folklore or the history behind it. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm a total like nerd like geek when it comes to food and well, just history in general. You are too, though. You love the history behind everything. Yes. Yes, I do. I have a degree in it. <laughs> I know. I know. So you'd be surprised actually how many foods and beverages have a magical history to go along with them. I don't think that I would be surprised. Maybe not you, but maybe other people would be surprised. <laughs> maybe. I don't know, but typically at Mm, most things in history have some sort of magical history that goes along with them too. We're so used to like throwing food. Okay. We go to the grocery store, we buy our, our prepackaged ingredients and things and items, and we take it home and we throw it all together, like unceremoniously. And we're like, okay, eat it. And we shove it in our faces. And, but the, <laughs> Some of these things were extremely important to our ancestors thousands of years ago and right. were very, hmm, some of the items were actually very exotic, like some of the spices we use, pepper, curry. So know. give us a little bit of a history lesson then. Okay. So bread, 
It's one of my favorite things to make. Mm. The earliest bread was believed to have been made circa 8,000 BCE in Egypt. Of course. It was a focal point to the formation of early civilizations. Mm. And I guess because it required agricultural advancement. True. Yeah. And honestly, there's just something super magical about, about making your own bread. It's when you're going through the process, it's like you're connecting with some sort of ancient part of yourself. Yeah. Like a primal instinct. Yeah. I really mm -hmm. feel like I sometimes have visions when I'm making bread. And I think other people will too, especially if you get into the manual, the actual hand kneading of bread. Mm. I've only ever made focaccia mm -hmm. and that's because it didn't like it was not complex to make because I've never like this is my first foray into bread. So I was like, let me do something that doesn't require a lot. So just right. so I can get the like hang of it. <laughs> yeah, I think something bread that's really easy to make, too, is like banana bread zucchini mm. bread those are pretty simple to make because you don't have to knead it it's just like you make the the batter the dough and then you bake it basically right but yeah every time i go to make bread i'm i'm like okay right i'm just gonna pull it out of the mixer because usually i i use the the kneading the needle on the stand mixer mm -hmm. for the dough attachment you know what i'm talking about yes the paddle and but that's never it's never or i mean the hook whatever yeah the hook it's never sufficient enough. You actually have to take it out of the bowl and hand knead it to get the right bounce back or texture, whatever you want to call it, of the dough. And I'm always like, okay, yeah, no problem. Just going to hand knead this real quick. And every time I get into it, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot how much work this is. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to push your whole body into it. It's not just like, oh, I'm just kneading bread and I'm looking cute. No, you're like sweating by the time you're done pretty much. Yes. And if you're vertically challenged, you probably have to get a stool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. What about cheese? Did you know that our stinky friend has been around for at least 7,000 years? Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because cheese go is, ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, cause cheese is curdled milk. Like that's mm. how the, well, <laughs> well, cottage cheese is curdled milk. I eat that too. Yeah, me too, but not here in Australia because it's it's not good. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. It's so, better back. Yeah. Breakstones is my jam. Mm. I can't do the, the daisy cottage cheese. I don't know why. I just don't like it. <laughs> All right. So it's believed humans made cheese by accident with the incorrect storage and or transportation of dairy. Makes yep, sense. No surprise there. <laughs> yeah, there's actually an entire article on the magic and folklore of cheese written on the website called The Conversation that's super interesting, including be being able to inspell a woman by giving her a piece of cheese, <laughs> which I feel like, duh, for me, you could give me cheese and it definitely will put a spell on me. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you hand me a piece of cheese, I'm going to be your friend. And like, then a piece of cheese and a glass of wine, dude. I'm set. <laughs> where's the bedroom? Cause it's going down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I think I will go ahead and, and, and link to that article as well. Cause it's just really, really interesting. And the last mm. one I'll touch on real quick historically with, with food. Cause everyone by now is either yawning or really geeking out on this. Like we are. <laughs> is pork or was once roasted boar mm. according to bustle.com roast boar is a dish that dates back to at least the fourth century ad that we know of we mm. know it was a popular meat among the ancient germanic peoples as well as the ancient romans among many mm. others if you can get your if you can't get your hands on a roasted boar, excuse me, a pork roast will do. But I have heard that they're doing actually they're opening like specific wild boar hunting lodges and things now in the US. Well, okay, then. having a thing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe you can get yourself a wild boar. Well, there you go. Yeah. And then give a little piece to Odin or Thor. <laughs> okay. And then also some people have a special dietary need. So you have to take that into consideration. Obviously, tailor these things to meet those dietary needs. Maybe you're diabetic, maybe you're keto, maybe you have to go gluten-free, low sugar, all, you know, all those things. I'm not telling you how to run your kitchen. I'm just saying you're going to have to figure that out on your own and that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So this next thing I think is one of the most important things that you've taught me and it's setting the atmosphere for magical meals. So please educate all of our listeners out there on how this works, because this is a game changer, folks. Game changing. <laughs> um. So I think, first of all, you have to know how you handle the food, meaning the preparation and the cooking process can all add or detract from the magic of your dish. So even if mm. you select specific ingredients that back up your intention and, you know, you light a candle, but let's say you're in a, I don't know, you're really angry and you put no thought or energy into the prep or the actual cooking, it mm. could, it could detract from the magic of your dish. True. And I have found that when it's a dish that needs quite a bit of food prep before you can actually make the dish, right? Because mm -hmm. let's say you've got a lot of ingredients and you have to add them one after another or in pretty rapid succession, but it's all stuff that needs to be diced, chopped, portioned out, mm -hmm. um, things like that. I have found that if I do that process before, like well before, I'm in a much better headspace when I'm making the dish because I don't feel, like I said in the beginning, the kitchen has always caused me anxiety. And this is one of the reasons why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if that, if people out there are listening, if that's you, then if you can even prep like your veggies mm -hmm. a couple hours before and put them in the fridge. Right. And that's typically what I do for like a, if I'm making a dinner that requires quite a bit of prep, mm -hmm. um, I will go ahead and do all the prep work like in the afternoon. And then when it's time to make the dish, it's just like plug and play. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, you're, you're going to be less anxious. And then during your prep work, you might even have a little bit more time to where you can put on some music or like a witchy podcast and mm -hmm. burn some incense while you're prepping or however you want to set the mood. But right. that definitely makes it easier when you go to cook the meal. If you have everything portioned out and already chopped, you can just follow the directions, right? And pop it in there. Then you can just Emerald Lagasse that. Bam. Bam. In there. <laughs> I wonder if anybody even remembers that. I know we're so old. <laughs> you can Rachel Ray that. Or wait, that's even... That's probably they're just Rachel the same. Ray. Um, who's some of the uh hmm? I'm thinking Giada. What's that lady's name? Giada something. Giada Curtis Stone. Barefoot uh, Contessa. Oh <laughs> that lady's okay. always talking about her husband. She's like, I think Jeffrey will really like this shrimp appetizer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. So when you're, so I guess the whole point here is, yes, yeah, setting the atmosphere for your meal. The energy that you're carrying can affect the food mm. and will affect the food. So if you're happy and dancing around the kitchen and you're laughing or you're thinking positively, all that energy will go into your meals. Mm. If you're angry, rushed, generally not in a good mood, yes, that energy could also go into your meal. Mm. And truly, in my opinion, maybe every, not everyone's going to agree with this, but in my opinion, you're kind of infecting everyone who eats the food with whatever energy you're putting into it. It's like reverse vampirism. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, listen, we've all done that, right? So. Oh, yeah. But, okay, so what do you do when you're in a bad mood or a crappy mood or a stressed out mood? Because it's been a really hectic day and you have to cook dinner for the fam. Is there ways to counterbalance, negate your moodiness from seeping into what you're cooking? I think whatever someone's method of kind of grounding or just recentering themselves will work. If, but for me, an easy way is to wipe my feet on my kitchen rug mm. or really just holding a wooden spoon in your hand for a few minutes and just breathing. You don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be a few minutes. It can be a minute and just breathe and try to let all that negativity flow out before right. you start the process. Right. And listen, you're not, you're probably not going to be, you know, you're not always going to be turning cartwheels. You're so happy in the kitchen because <laughs> life is life, but you'll find that the moments where you are happy and, you know, you're listening to music and you're relaxed and it's a magical atmosphere, you'll find that those meals are a lot more just, I guess, relaxing for the whole family even. Right. Definitely. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. So if you have the time to cook on, say, a weekend, uh, like like a weekend day or or even a holiday, set mm. the mood in your kitchen with the music, light a candle, maybe some incense. If it's the right time, maybe you can sip on a glass of wine or coffee and tea, whatever you like. So that way it's going to help relax you. Mm. And I really enjoy being able to take my time when I'm cooking a large meal. Right. And I even get into a trance sometimes. And I think that's when my meals come out the best. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I'm I mean, yet to experience the food trance, but <laughs> it'll happen. It'll happen. It will. Yeah. I think too, if you're making a meal for your gods or your ancestors, you can work that inspiration into your preparation and ambiance as well. Definitely. Yeah. So what is this um, pentagram approach to magical meal making? So I use what I like to call the pentagram approach to making magical meals. It basically, I look at it like the pentagram. So a five-pointed star Four points of the star are based on Samin Nasrat's amazing work called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Mm. I learned so much about cooking from this book. I can't even tell you. The fifth point, and probably the most important, is the energy or spirit that you're putting into your cooking. Very cool. Yeah. And again, I'm going to try to link her website on the Burning Hallows Facebook page as well for everyone after this. First point that we're going to touch on is salt. Okay. Something I learned from the book. Number one tip is to salt your food, people. Right. Don't wait till the end. Don't put the food out on the table and expect everyone to salt the food for themselves because it's not the same. <laughs> you know, something funny about that is here in Australia, salt is not really a thing. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's very, um, it was quite a big adjustment coming from the U.S. because very few dishes that are eaten over here are spiced <laughs> oh my god like it's um they do use some spice but you know growing up eating mexican american food and uh and those type of foods you know spicier foods um it's not quite the same over here it's it's different types of spices from different parts of the world. Um, so, and a lot of, and a lot of the dishes here are more on the bland side. 
So it, it was interesting trying to adjust. And just now, I mean, I've been here uh, quite a bit, but it's just only just now that my family is becoming used to eating spice. Well, that is indeed unfortunate. <laughs> Because I don't think it's not, well, salting meals and meat and everything isn't just big in the U.S., though. It's definitely a European thing, too. Samin talks about salting your meats before cooking them. And it sounds crazy, but this makes a huge difference in the flavor and the texture and the consistency. So, for instance, when you bring your steaks home, you should salt them 24 hours before you grill or cook them. Okay. Totally different when you actually eat the steak. You would be amazed. It's There's a whole scientific process with how the salt is like the process of osmosis and moisture in the steaks and everything else that I'm not going to get into. But that is a big thing that I learned salting your meat before cooking it as well as salting the water before putting you know your pasta cooking your pasta or blanching your veggies your water should be so salty that it tastes like the ocean so a lot of people will just put a little pinch of salt but this is something oh that, no i dump salt yeah this is something all the top chefs in the world do they just don't really talk about it a lot you you it's like a handful of salt yes that's the exactly what i do for mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Cause that actually, you know, soaks into the pasta and flavors it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is all about having a balance of, you know, salt, fat, acid, and heat in your meals. And if you're learning to cook intuitively, these are the elements that you're going to want to learn about. It's a balance mm -hmm. of flavors. You don't, you also don't want a plate of just all salty foods. You want a mix of salty, savory, maybe acidic and creamy or a combination within those. So yeah, the other points of the cooking kitchen, witch pentagram are fat, acid, and heat. So obviously your fats are things like butters, oils, you know, fat in actual meats, like the fat of steak, bacon. Mm. And... Always Always cook your green beans with a piece of bacon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm. Also, acid. So anything acidic, like you have your tomatoes, your, um, you know, strawberries are acidic. I'm trying to, I'm blanking on you know my what else acidic I learned stuff right recently now. What? About acidic stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you get, if you're working with spice and you get something too hot, add an acid to it and it'll make it less hot. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I was making a dish and it was more spicy than I had anticipated. So I actually added apple cider vinegar and you couldn't taste it, but it just cut the heat. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Another trick I learned too is if you over salted something while you're cooking it, slice a potato in half and put the potato in there and cook it for 10 minutes and the potato will draw up a lot of the salt and then you discard the potato obviously mm, very cool tip. yeah and then the last part of this is heat so this is a couple different things it's how you're actually cooking the food so are you cooking over an open fire oven stove etc but it can also be, it's, we're talking about adding spice to the meal. So things that they don't have in Australia, apparently. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we do. We do. It's not that we don't have them. It's that like, for instance, we'll use uh, them. <laughs> right. And like, um, Cajun food. Oh man. I got Cajun spice here. No, <laughs> Look, that's all I got to say. No, it's not even the same. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, spices, right? Like peppers, chili powders, hot sauce, cayenne, all that is a part of that heat factor. Ooh, and also, oh, go ahead. hold on. Also, I'm going to blow your mind. There's no pumpkin spice here either. Well, you could probably make it yourself though. Oh, I do. Okay. But you cannot buy it on the you shelf. can't buy it, right. Because here, pumpkin is savory, not sweet, ever. 
I mean, I do a lot of savory pumpkin dishes, so I get that, but I would miss the the ease of having a pumpkin spice in a container. Yeah. And like in coffee, they don't do like pumpkin spice coffees or anything. No, ma'am. Oh. <gasps> exactly. Which is that why made I make- my basic autumn witch <laughs> self like cringe. I know. This, but that's why I have to make my own because I'm like, Mm-mm. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I hate those people that hate on other people that like pumpkin spice. You know, they're like, oh, you're so basic for liking pumpkin spice because the spices and pumpkin spice were once considered currency back in the day. Okay, it's not basic. Well, well, girl, you can just call me Walmart because I'm going to need my pumpkin spice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. My family is always like, well, we know it's September because mom's breaking out the pumpkin to cook with. All right. So the last part of the pentagram is the top point of the star. And it's the spirit, the energy that you're adding to your meals that we've been talking about this whole entire time. Mm, Probably the most important part. Well, the food is really important too, but your energy is also very important. Yeah. And I'd say too, listening to something in the kitchen, whether it's a podcast Mm -hmm. or music, Mm -hmm like you're raising the energy as well at the same time. Yes, absolutely. So that's what I love about that. I've definitely, that will help me go into a trance as well. Mm, put on some high lung. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. Or Danheim <laughs> is good too for that. Yes. I know you like them. I do. Oh, one more tip too. Always be sure you're tasting your dish throughout the cooking process. If you're not tasting it, you're going to end up with something that needs more salt or spice or whatever, whatever in the end. If you're tasting it, then you can always adjust these things as you go along. I generally have everybody taste it because they'll all say something different. Oh, no, I don't do that. I don't let them have an opinion till the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, typically I do because like I said before, they're just really learning how to eat and like spice. Yeah. So I generally need a gauge. Yeah, as that to, makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, is this too spicy or or are you good? I got, I got you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. All righty. Well, shall we wrap it up? If you enjoy this episode, you're going to love the next kitchen witch episode that will be released in probably the next few weeks or so in which we cover our favorite seasonal entrees for autumn yeah and remember whether you're in the land of the fae or the land of the ancestors stay otherworldly